Well, I hope you had a blessed Thanksgiving. Uh, as uh, Larry pointed out, uh, some of you Packer fans probably had an extra blessing to celebrate around the table. Um, not so much the Ohio State fans today. They had a bad day. So, uh, But now we turn our, eye, our eyes from Thanksgiving, which was just a couple days ago, and you come in here tonight and you're like, wow, whoa, what's going on? It's it's like Advent and, and Christmas. Where, did I miss the memo? How could things be going this fast already? Well, I guess I should put a little disclaimer out there that technically Advent does not start until next Sunday, second and third. And what's interesting about this year's calendar is that the last day of Advent, the, the fourth Sunday of Advent, is on the 24th on a Sunday, and then that's Christmas Eve also. So just a little disclaimer, if you come to church in the morning, you're going to get an Advent sermon, and if you come to church in the afternoon or night, you're going to get a Christmas sermon. I don't want to hear any crying if you came at the wrong time, all right? So come both times, okay? That's, that's how it works. That's how it works, man. Okay. So this week then actually has a church year name. Uh, it actually has several. It's called the last Sunday of the church year. Uh, some refer to it as the Sunday of Fulfillment. Some uh, refer to it as Christ the King Sunday. But in all of these things, the, the focus, the centralized focus, is about the coming of our King, our Lord Jesus Christ, both as he comes in the manger, but also as he promises to come in glory and power at the second coming. And so today, what we're doing is we're having what we're calling a pre-Advent weekend, Okay where we are going to uphold that theme of preparing for the coming of Jesus, both in his second coming and, of course, at Christmas. And next week, we're going to do Advent where it starts. So we'll have the Advent wreath out and everything. But we're starting our series, our Advent series. Um, and actually, I want to encourage you, our staff did something. Uh, this year, our staff put together an Advent devotional for you and your family. Uh, it's a great idea that Larry came up with, and we all worked on it together. And so grab one of these after worship, one per family, and that will start next Sunday as just an additional way to uh, bolster your devotional life during these last four weeks before Christmas. But today we begin with a new preaching series, as you've seen, and our series is called The Blank That Stole Christmas. And we're going to add in and fill in that blank each week. We're taking a page out of the classic, maybe you've seen it already from some of our artwork, the classic Dr. Seuss book, The Grinch That Stole Christmas. And if you're not familiar with that story, well, the Grinch is a sour, solitary creature with a heart two sizes too small who lives on a mountain overlooking Whoville, the home of the Who's, having been annoyed by Whoville's noisy Christmas festivities for years, the Grinch resolves to stop Christmas from coming. And if you've never read the book or seen this show, I won't tell you anymore because I don't want to spoil it for you, okay? But similarly, just as the Grinch wants to steal the joy of the people he uh, lives near, so there are things in our lives, sins, in our lives that can steal the Christmas joy that we have in Christ. And so what we want to do over these next four weeks is not so much focus in on the Dr. Seuss book, but focus in on God's living book, the Bible, where it warns us, where it encourages us, where it corrects us, where it allows us to see the traps of this season, where things can get in the way and steal the joy that is ours at the coming of the manger of our Savior, Jesus Christ. 
And so today, as you can see printed above there, today we're looking at the materialism that stole Christmas. I think this is a fitting thing to look at because we just ended three weeks of a stewardship series where we talked about the good gifts that God gives to us and how we are called as managers, stewards of his good gifts to treat those gifts well, to generously respond to God with those gifts and, and to not be absorbed by our gifts. And so I, I think that having just had Thanksgiving where we thank God for all the blessings we have and conveniently this message falling between Black Friday on Small Business Saturday with Cyber Monday coming up just around the corner is a great time to talk about the possibility of materialism stealing our Christmas joy. And so in order to do that, we look to God's word. We begin in Luke chapter 12. There in Luke chapter 12, Jesus has been teaching for some time. He's been teaching on some hefty themes like the last days and what it's going to be like, about what it's like for a Christian to persevere under severe persecution, of what it means to be a disciple and to confess Christ in the midst of a changing culture. And yet in the midst of all of these weighty topics, a man in the crowd, he wants something more practical, something he can bite his teeth into. And so he blurts out, hey, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. That's something we can all relate to, right? I mean, all these other things are just, they're spiritual and, and out, out and pie in the sky. But this is something that he's talking about. It's real tangible stuff. And he asks Jesus to get involved. Now, the principles of the Old Testament, especially Deuteronomy chapter 21, would suggest that the older son would have gotten a double share of the inheritance, and the younger son would have just simply got a single share. Or the other thing that was interesting to consider is that in the culture at this time, many of the people in various cultures were practicing the law of, if I can pronounce this properly, primogeniture, which means that the oldest child got all of the parents' belongings, and it was only up to their generosity whether or not they wanted to share that with the siblings around them. That'd probably work out real good nowadays, wouldn't it? Yeah, it didn't work out so good those days either, let me tell you. And so we have this guy who says, hey, teacher, help me out with this. Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with you. But what's interesting is Jesus doesn't take the bait he says, I'm not going to referee your family's squabble. That's not what I came to do. And instead, he teaches him something about what it means to be greedy and to be careful that you don't get trapped by materialism. And he says this to this man and also to his disciples who are listening. He says, watch out, be on guard against all kinds of greed, for life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. See, Jesus sees right through this guy. He understands where his heart's coming from. He sees that he's a man that just wants stuff and that he's stuck in materialism. This man is coming to Jesus because he thinks if his brother can divide the inheritance, he will find more fullness in his life. And that's not that much, sim that, that much different than nowadays, is it? Everybody is looking for stuff in this world that's going to bring fulfillment to their life. In fact, you might say that each 
and every one of us has a hole in our life. And we try to fill that hole thinking that an abundance, if we just put enough stuff in it, it will somehow plug the hole that's causing us problems. But we have to be careful what we place in that hole. Because so many things that people of this world try to place in there only disappoint when they think they're going to find fulfillment. In fact, Jesus is careful to tell this man that the, that, that the fullness of life is not in the abundance of possessions. And yet, there's a lot of people in our world, right, who think that an abundance of money in their life will fill their life, that they will no longer have any problems or yearn from any, any other things in their lives. And so a lot of people set their lives up that way, that if I only have enough money, I will find fullness in my life. But we all know people, right, who have lots of money. And I don't know if, when I've looked to them, that they necessarily can attribute fullness of life to that. In fact, there are some people that have so much money that they're so concerned about their abundance of money that their hearts are far from God because their hearts have been pushed aside because they're focusing on their stuff. But here's the other side of it. There's also people that I know that don't have a lot of money, but they set their hearts on one day, one day I'm going to have a lot of money. And so somebody who doesn't have a lot of stuff can also have a heart that is far pushed aside from God. Because we know that an abundance of money doesn't simply fill that hole in our lives. Sometimes people think that hole of fulfillment in their lives can be satisfied with abundance of career. That if I can just make the next promotion, if I can just make the next partnership, if I can just get my business off the ground to this level of sales, then I will have made it. And yet a lot of people do that. And are their lives that much more fulfilled? I know a lot of people that I've talked to who sometimes say, I wish I could go back to when things were simpler. Their lives become more complex. They have more issues, more things, and they realize that all the, all the yearning they've done for moving up the career ladder was not bringing them any fulfillment that they thought it would. How about trying to fill that hole with an abundance of travel or adventure? Social media promises us that we're missing out right? There's always an adventure that your friend's on that you are not. And so we think, or we're told by the culture that if we could just maybe travel as much as that person or just make the adventures uh, that other people had, that we could find that missing piece of our lives. And yet, vacations and travel are fun, but do they really bring us lasting fulfillment? In fact, some people they see through the traps of what I've just mentioned, and they say, you know what? You know what's going to fill the hole in my life? Is the abundance of family. And that's a beautiful thing, by the way. That's not a bad thing. That's a great thing, to have abundance of loved ones in your life who are your family. Maybe you just experienced that here around the Thanksgiving table. But even that beautiful thing will not bring you the fullness of life and completely fill that hole that is inside of each and every one of us. And Jesus wants the people that he's speaking to, his disciples, this man who blurted out his question, to understand 
that life is so much more than the stuff we have or the people we're around. And so he tells a story. He tells a parable, and he says, The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest, and he thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns. I'll build bigger ones, and there I'll store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, You have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, You fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you, and then... Who's going to get what you've prepared for yourself? And Jesus puts a little teachable lesson in there and says, This is how it will be for anyone who stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. So we come to understand that that fullness of life really has something to do with finding richness in God. And I'd like to kind of spend our closing moments talking about three tangible ways that we can be rich towards our God. And the first thing is that we live without worry. In this story, worry shows up in a weird way. Actually, the lack of worry shows up, doesn't it? This guy here has his entire life figured out. He's going to build bigger barns. He's going to have all his crops. He's got his retirement plan figured out. He's just going to take life easy and not worry about things. Let me tell you, if you got your whole life figured out and you're as self-sufficient as this guy, you better worry, right? Those of you who've been down that road know that no matter how much you plan, no matter how much you think you got things under control, life can throw a curveball at you. This guy didn't worry about that, and that's what makes him a fool. But I think for more of us, it's not so much that avenue, it's the other one where we get worrying too much about the material things in our lives. We think we need this. We think if we don't have that, which so-and-so has, that we won't be as popular, and the list goes on and on. We think these things will help us out, but Jesus, just a few verses later, says, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, about your body, what you will wear, for life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap, they have no storeroom, they have no barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than the birds? And so the first way that we're rich towards God is not worrying about all the material things, thanking God for the material things that we have, but not worrying about them. That's what Jesus teaches here in Luke 12. A second thing that helps us become rich towards God is when we live beyond ourselves. There's so many people in this world that are just living for number one. But they're not really considering other people. You know, Martin Luther once said that God doesn't need your good works, but your neighbor does. His argument like, went like this. God doesn't need us to do good works. We're saved by grace through faith. But guess who does? Our neighbors need our good works all the time. Acts of love and service towards them. And if you look carefully at this parable, this man was all about himself, wasn't he? Did you listen to the language in that parable? He thought to himself. He said to himself. Nowhere in the parable does he ever consider anybody else but himself. He's worshiping the holy or the unholy trinity of me, myself, and I. He's so wrapped up in himself that he's going to build these bigger barns and nobody's ever going to take advantage of the gifts that God has given him. 
It's not a parable about we shouldn't be savers. That's not it at all. It's a parable about warning us not to be selfish and self-absorbed like this guy was. And so the second way we're rich towards God is when we live beyond ourselves and live towards others as well. And the third way that we're rich towards God is when we live for Christ. When we make God the number one priority in our life. You know, it's interesting in this parable, the man in this parable, not only does he never uh, mention another person, he just mentions himself, but did you notice that he never mentions God in the parable either? The guy making the barns never brings up God. Well, you think, well, he's probably just somebody who doesn't worship God. Well, there's another clue in there. I don't know if you picked up on this. It's a very good chance the person that Jesus is talking about was a Jewish follower who did know God because they're kind of hidden in the parable. He says to himself, I should eat, drink, and be merry. And guess what? That's an exact scripture quotation from Ecclesiastes 8, verse 5. This guy knew his Bible. He probably even knew God. But even knowing his Bible and knowing God didn't impact the way he lived his life. And that's what made him a fool. And that's why that hole that is missing, that hole that is present in our hearts and our lives, is a God-shaped hole. Only God can fulfill that. Only Christ fits that. We try to find fullness in life in so many different ways, including materialism, and it steals the joy we have at Christmas time. No, instead, the Bible points us back to Jesus Christ, who says, I have come that they may have life and that they may have life to the full. You can find that in John chapter 10, verse 10. And that's what Jesus Christ offers each and every one of us, a full life, a life of, of, of eternal fullness, a life of abundance here on earth, a, a life of complete forgiveness of sins, not partial, a life where he would give his complete body on the cross, bleeding for us through his veins, that he might fulfill what is missing the most in our lives. And that is a relationship with our creator. And so as we prepare for Christmas, even here in this pre-Advent week, as we get closer and closer to giving and receiving gifts, may those gifts be a token, a reminder, if you will, of the greatest gift that God has given us, and that is his son, Jesus. But at the same time, let them also be a good warning to us that we don't get trapped in the materialism of this culture that seeks to steal our Christmas joy, the Christmas joy that we'll celebrate in a month, found in our Savior, Jesus Christ, who comes that we might have life, might have it to the full. Amen. Now may this peace of our God, which surpasses our understanding, keep our hearts and minds in the fullness we have in Christ Jesus. Amen.